Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. So intuitive basically is the is the always on, it's instant decisions, it doesn't take a lot of effort for people to think about. In fact, you could even argue in layman's terms whether they're thinking or not. It doesn't make sense. Just stick with your 16-year-old Jaguar and get it fixed. Don't go get tempted. And I'm going, yeah, but look at these shiny cars. Aren't they really great? That's a really subtle difference and probably something that nobody even considered when they were designing these systems. And yet it became this intuitive trigger for insecurity for me. This podcast is sponsored by Verant. Verant helped the world's most iconic brands build enduring customer relationships by connecting work, data, and experiences across the enterprise. The Verant Customer Engagement Cloud Platform draws on the latest advancements in AI and analytics, an open cloud architecture, and the science of customer engagement to meet ever-increasing, ever-shifting consumer interactions and demands. Ryan, so we are going to start a new series. Yay. How about that? God, dear, it's exciting, isn't it? Very eh? exciting. Oh, you can hear every... I'll tell you what, there's someone driving down the road who's now had an accident because they're so excited whilst they're listening to this podcast that I'm really sorry about causing that accident. Colin, you are endangering lives. You're a menace <laughs> to society with the excitement of the topics that you picked for this podcast. Yeah. I have been looking forward to this, actually. I think this will be a fun series. Yeah. So we are going to call this series The 10 Most Effective Ways to Influence Your Customer. So The 10 Most Effective Ways to Influence Your Customer. And what we're going to do is we are going to pick a one of the 10 that Ryan and I believe are the most uh, effective ways to influence customers. And probably once a month, something like that, we will talk about that topic. Today, we're going to talk about intuitive and rational thinking. Now, you may know about this already. You may have heard about this already. And if you have, that's absolutely wonderful. We've updated our thinking on this since we actually wrote the book, literally, on the subject. And we're going to come up with some practical examples of where this is coming into play. So even if you think you know about it, then that's fine. But you're going to hopefully learn some new stuff about it. And at least it can act as a bit of a refresher if you're a Billy No-Mates that knows all about it. If you did, you probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast anyway. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Ryan, why do we choose intuitive and rational thinking? What, yes. So why is that the first one we've talked about in terms of the 10 most effective ways to influence your customer? Well, a lot of the other things that go on this list might fall under the category of tools or tips 
this one we started with because it's a little bit more foundational. This is, is really one of the key insights for just understanding how people think. And you may not understand how that fits into persuasion, but the reality is you need to understand some of the kind of the, the machinery of how people make decisions if we're going to understand why they're they're making the choices that they are and how we can persuade them to do something else instead. So that's why we started here. So we're starting kind of from the ground up and then we'll, we'll build off of this in our future episodes in this series as well. Let me give you a practical example before we sort of go into the theory of this. Let me give you a practical example of something that's been happening to me over the last week. Great. That I thought to myself, hmm, this is an example of intuitive and rational thinking. Did you really think that to yourself, Colin? <laughs> I did. You, it's very sad. Do you have a I nerd did. voice in your head that you like pull out for these types of mental conversations? I, I do. I okay. do. Okay, that's fair. I, that's I, fair. I have, yes. And I have a mental picture of you sitting there telling me that this is the case. <laughs> Your head is a dark place to live in, Colin. I gotta. <laughs> no, just I'm good, I'm good. Lucky you made it out of their life. Okay, so gonna... what did I say to you in your <laughs> interior monologue? I've had a Jag car for years, okay, mm-hmm. uh, and I literally bought this. Um, I've got an XK Jag, and I literally bought it about sixteen years ago, and I've just never sort of traded it in or anything like that because I really like it. But I have to say, the thing's fallen apart now, right? So I thought to myself, you know what, I better get a new car, basically. I decided that I would go on to the Jag website, because I like Jag, the brand. I started to look at things, and, and I split my time between America and the and the UK. So I'm in each country for roughly six months of the year. Six weeks and then six weeks, back and forth. Anyway, long and short of it is I thought to myself, this is interesting. They've got this offer called Pivot. Mm-hmm. Okay, which is where you actually subscribe to Jaguar mm-hmm. and you can change your car very frequently, like every six months or something. I've yeah. heard of these, yes. Yeah. And so it's like the whole subscription economy mm-hmm. thing. Depending on the like the subscription you get, you can choose all these different cars. And I thought, bloody hell, this is good. Maybe I should be doing this. Mm-hmm. So the bloody hell, this is good. This is, you know, maybe I should be looking into this. That's my heart talking. Mm-hmm. My head is going, it's 750 pounds. It's, it's like a thousand. <laughs> it's a thousand dollars a month minimum. Yeah. And you're not here for six months of the year. It doesn't make sense. You know, just, <laughs> just stick with your 16 year old Jaguar and get it fixed. Don't go get tempted. And I'm going, yeah, but look at these shiny cars. Yeah. Aren't they really great? And I thought, yeah, that's an example of intuitive and rational thinking. Do you want to explain what's happening there? I mean, the short answer is Colin is insane and he's a crazy <laughs> person. No, you're, what you're describing is, like the most human thing ever. Everybody has experienced this where we seem to have within us multiple selves who are both trying to get their own way. And and that's kind of the core idea behind this intuitive and rational system is that we have within us multiple ways of thinking about things and multiple processes for dealing with it. And as you said, like a lot of times we characterize it as our heart versus our mind. If you're into Freud, it, it might be the id and the ego. 
that conflict within ourselves is, is kind of the core of this. And they do sometimes fight. They do sometimes want different things. And, and we have to talk one side out of what they want in order to get it for the other side. So understanding that we all have these two systems within us and how they interact, that's kind of the core and the key to persuasion. This is Professor Daniel Kahneman stuff again in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, which because I don't like the way that people in psychology explain things. We've called it intuitive and rational, which I think explains it a bit better, doesn't it, rather than system one and two. A little more evocative, yeah. I mean, there's there have been lots and lots of labels for these two systems. This is an old idea. It dates back literally thousands of years in philosophy and, and metaphysics where people have talked about having multiple selves within us. Um, Plato talked about it, Aristotle did. Out of all of the labels that have trickled down, Kahneman picked up on, on one that some other psychologists developed and he, and he said, you know, we're not going to even give it an interesting name. We're just going to call it system one and system two. Right. Yeah. Which was unfortunate from a branding perspective. It was, it's just not good. So yeah, when you and I talk about it, we talk about intuitive and, and rational systems. Yeah. And we believe this so much that A, we named the podcast The Intuitive Customer, right. which was based upon naming the book that Ryan and I wrote together, the guess what? Guess what it was called? It was called The Intuitive Customer. That's right. Because it's so fundamental. The thing that I think is really, really important to people and really, really important for people when they're thinking of their customer experience is two sets of thinking. So intuitive basically is the is the always on, it's instant decisions. It doesn't take a lot of effort for people to think about. In fact, you could even argue in layman's terms whether they're thinking or not, because on the rational side, it's serial thought, isn't it? Mm. You say you can only think of one thing at a time. Whereas the intuitive system is good at making estimates, the rational system is looking at sort of much more hard data. So math and formulas and stuff like that is much more of a logical process. And the reason why I think this is so important, and I'm sure Ryan will go on and talk a bit more about the intuitive and rational as well, is you want your customers to make intuitive decisions for you. <laughs> Let me hasten mm -hmm. to add. So you want your customers to automatically, keyword, buy your product or service and not think about it, not put it into necessarily rational thought. You want it to be, uh, we did a podcast on this a few weeks ago, habitual. Yeah? yeah. You want it to be automatic so even they don't have to think about it. Whereas if you let them and make them think in, in a rational perspective, by definition, they may compare... I may end up comparing now Jaguar with Lexus or Audi or whoever it may be and going, actually, £750 a month is too expensive. They do the same type of thing over there and it's only 500 quid a month. Yes. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Are there any other sort of traits of intuitive and rational that you, you think are important for people to understand? I think you defined the two systems very well. I think a couple of things for people to remember as they're trying to apply and understand this is that one, people have both. So I've seen it where people are introduced to this idea that a lot of our decision-making is intuitive, and then they go like 
too far in the other direction. So they go from making the mistake of treating people as rational all the time to going to the mistake of thinking that people are only and exclusively intuitive. And the reality is that people have both of these systems and they both interact. And so it's not enough to just focus on one or just focus on the other, but we have to recognize how they they work together, right? So Colin gave the story about how both of these systems wanted different things in terms of the purchase of a car. That's true of everyone. And so you need to appeal to both systems and make sure that you are developing appeals for the intuitive system and also for the rational system, because either one can sink you. The interesting bit for me, uh, and I was thinking about this from another example as I was preparing for this podcast, it's just about the COVID vaccine. Yeah. Okay. So as people would have heard in a previous podcast where we were discussing this, I had the COVID vaccine. And my head tells me that the vaccine's 90% efficacy, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. My heart tells me don't go into big crowds. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do this. Don't do that. So I've got this constant sort of battle between my head and my heart about what I should do and what's safe and what's not safe, et cetera, which is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And so if you were in a position of persuading people to take the vaccine, you would need to recognize that both of these are in play or in the business of persuading people to behave in a certain way after they've taken the vaccine, for example. You need both. And so it's not enough to just give people a, a feel-good message that makes them feel confident or whatever. They, they may also need some stats and figures to back that up. At the same time, it's also not enough to just give people the stats and the figures. A lot of the decision-making around vaccines is going to be intuitive and in how people feel. And sometimes people feel unsafe, even if objectively something is safe. And you can't just ignore that and say, oh, well, those people are being dumb. If you want to persuade them, you need to meet them where they are and you need to provide them with more intuitive reasons, make them feel secure, convince them using their rational and their intuitive systems. I'd like to encourage all of our listeners to visit verant.com backslash boundless to download the latest research report on the engagement capacity gap. I would also suggest you go to verant.com backslash engage to register for Engage 21, the company's annual customer engagement event. An award-winning storyteller, Jay Shetty, is one of the keynotes who will be kicking off the conference that runs between May 19th through to the 21st. It's an interactive, free, three-day virtual conference that's open to everybody, and you'll discover best practices and tools that can help you build enduring customer relationships. Register at verant.com backslash engage. That's verant.com backslash engage. Another example that I, I wanted to raise, which I think is really important, is there's a particular website I go on. I'm learning to play the guitar. I think everybody knows that now. I've said it about 400 times. I'm still not getting any better. <laughs> <laughs> we were waiting for you to get better before we... Yeah. But there's a particular website I go on that I look and buy sheet music. And it, to be honest with you, it, it's a pain in the neck to navigate. Yeah? Mm -hmm. But I've learned how to navigate it. Okay, If they now change it, that's going to cause me a problem. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is 
the intuitive system can be taught. Yes. You can teach the intuitive system how to do things. So we all sit here and type on our computers. We don't have to think, oh, let's press the button A or B or C, wherever it may be. You know, we just do it without thinking. We drive the car, you drive home at night and you get home and you go, I don't remember driving home. Mm -hmm. But we train customers on how to do things. So this website has effectively trained me on how to navigate their website. So I know it's a pain in the neck and I know what I now need to do. The interesting bit is if they decided to improve it, yeah, that would probably cause me a problem. In the short term, it may be a small problem, but you know, in the longer term, it may actually be better experience. But the point is that you can train customers on how to deal with your poor experience. Does that make sense? Yeah. In fact, there are in examples where firms intentionally make things a little harder so as to train people to use their particular system. So Starbucks is an example that gets cited frequently. Ordering coffee from Starbucks is objectively a nightmare. You need to learn two different fictional languages in order to just order a coffee. You need to be able to speak Elvish from Lord of the Rings in order to, <laughs> to order. And yet, once you've learned that, once you've become fluent in that, it, it does then provide kind of a, a, a barrier for switching. You're like now, now this is something that you've learned how to do. And so that becomes just a part of the process and something you actually value. And that's interesting, actually, isn't it? Because other coffee suppliers must really get annoyed. Yes. You walk yes. in there and go, can I have a grande or a, yes. a, a venti this or whatever it may may be? And they go, yeah, but you just mean the large one. You mean the large. <laughs> it's like, no, no, I've already learned how to use this really non-intuitive system yeah. and now it's intuitive to me. And it sounds so much better. <laughs> <laughs> Part of the reason that you and I wanted to start with this topic and consider it so important is the fact that so much of our experiences can be influenced by this intuitive system and by our intuitive experiences. Let me give you an example. I grocery shop at primarily at two different stores. One's kind of a, a higher priced, higher quality chain, and one's kind of a, a cheaper store um, where I do some of my bulk buying. And they both use you know these credit card systems so that you can pay. And they're similar, but but they're designed slightly differently. And in one of them, you plug in your card and then you enter your PIN or whatever, and then you have to wait until the end of the transaction to remove your card. Right. So I would stick in my card and then I'm like putting bags back in my cart and kind of arranging myself. And I had to leave this card, which I considered to be very valuable, in this machine where I was not able to access it. Objectively, the risk of my getting, you know, having that card stolen while I'm standing right there in front of it is pretty low. Yeah. But intuitively, it made me feel insecure. The other grocery store that I went to, you'd plug in the card and then it would tell you to immediately remove it and you can put it back in your wallet and move on with whatever else you had to do. That's a really subtle difference and probably something that nobody even considered when they were designing these systems. And yet it became this intuitive trigger for insecurity for me every time I was shopping at that one store. And I think it contributed to an overall kind of more negative experience there. Yeah. No, that's a good example. And another building on that, the thing I found surprising, and again, people probably don't even recognize this, 
when you used to give people the card and then they'd give you a receipt, mm -hmm. have you noticed how the first print-off was the merchant's copy, not the customer's copy? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because yeah. I picked up on that simply because I'm a geek with all this stuff. And I thought, yeah, somebody's designed it so the merchant gets the copy rather than the customer getting the copy. Now, and it may only take a you know a few seconds mm -hmm. or you know, um, but you can imagine if the paper runs out or whatever it may be. Right. Well, who's the most important person in the transaction? Basically? That's right. Sometimes there are very good reasons why people design these systems this way. Many times it's just arbitrary. Somebody made a decision without even thinking about another way to do it, but. Our point is that if you understand that there's both these rational and these intuitive means that people have for evaluating experiences, this stuff can, on the margins, matter. And it can influence the experiences people have. The bit I've found fascinating, and we've actually, it's helped us a hell of a lot in our redesigning of experiences with our clients, is in understanding that in certain circumstances, the rational side of customers thinking can get disturbed. Yes. When a customer is feeling tired, mm -hmm. when a customer is feeling distracted, when there's, you know, lots of noise or something like that that's happening that's distracting them from being able to think, they effectively, the rational side of the brain switches, not switches off. I'm always worried about what I say in front of you because I probably don't say the, the right words. Oh, I'm, but, I'm keeping a record. <laughs> but in a layman's turn, it turns off yeah. and you just make a decision based upon your, your intuitive decision and that can come and bite you the next yeah. day. We've worked with financial services organizations that go out and see people in their homes in the evening and who then changed their mind the next day simply because they were too tired or the kids were running around in the house when they were trying to talk about this, you know, important financial choice that they made or the salesman was pushing them too hard or whatever, whatever, whatever. And the next day you suddenly end up with a load of customers phoning up and saying, actually, I don't want to do that anymore. And that's simply as a result of them feeling those things. This is the second big thing that I, I hope people get out of this. One is that people have these two systems and that you need to incorporate both of them. The second big learning point here is that you can sometimes anticipate which of these systems is going to be relatively more important for any given customer or, or transaction. So sometimes it's through segmentation. So you may be dealing with a segment who just doesn't care about this particular purchase. And so you can anticipate they're going to be making more intuitive decisions. Sometimes, yep. though, as you say, it's going to be about the setting. So there are certain settings that are very distracting or that are exhausting, and people are going to rely more on intuitive decision-making in those settings. And just building on that, it could be the setting, but it could be what has happened to the customer prior to that yeah. setting Excellent or point. to that experience. Where they're coming from before the setting. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So understanding that the customer has just had a hard day at work. Yeah. Yeah. And there's one thing which is you're designing an experience where you may turn around therefore and go, well, actually, we don't want to be sending people around at night because of that circumstance. Or it could be, well, you are going to, but actually what we're going to do is we're going to train our sales teams to 
asks some questions at the beginning that sort of says, well, have you had a good day? Or not, hello, are you tired? Because I want to sell you something and I don't want returns in the morning. I'm only um, asking because you look terrible. <laughs> yeah. But you can ask customers, well, what have you been doing today? You know, have you had a, have you had a good day? And if they suddenly turn around and go, well, I've got 50 million things in my mind and blah, 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 you may go, mm, well, maybe this isn't the best environment for us to have this conversation in, basically. Excellent. So I agree that it's, it's about understanding the setting, but it's also understanding what happens, what leads up to that setting, I think is key as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think that brings us to the third key learning point that I wanted to, us to mention as we talked about this topic, which is you have two choices when it comes to, if you, if you know that your customers are likely to be in a more intuitive frame of mind or a more rational frame of mind, you have two choices. You can either meet your customer where they are. So this is the, the idea that we know that people are likely to be distracted or tired or whatever. And so we need to appeal to them in an intuitive manner or you can move them to where you need them to be. So if closing this deal about financial transactions requires that people are thinking about this more rationally or, or analytically, then what can we do to move people into that mindset? It may be that we reschedule for the next morning. It may be that we you know offer them some coffee and, and engage them in some engaging conversation to kind of get those gears turning. But you can't kind of communicate to people in a different language than the decision process that they're using. So if you're talking rationally and they're thinking intuitively, going to fail. If you're talking intuitively and they're thinking rationally, going to fail. So you either need to meet them where they're at or you need to move them to where you need them to be. What's the recommendations? What's the practical advice then, Ryan? What would you say? So this isn't going to sound practical, but I promise it is. Understand where your customers are coming from mentally, right? What is the process they're going to be bringing to the table here? Think about this from a segmentation perspective. So are our particular target customers likely to be more rational or intuitive in this setting and at this time? Think about it from an environmental standpoint. What is the setting that people are in going to do to them in terms of how they think? Think about it in, from a persuasion standpoint. Can we move people from one type of thinking to another? But recognize that the most rational arguments in the world are not going to work for somebody thinking intuitively, and the most intuitive appeals are not going to work for somebody who's thinking rationally. So you, you kind of need to figure out where people are at. And I think from my perspective, there are two or three things. One is Definitely, as Ryan was just saying, just make sure you understand that people are going to be thinking about these two areas. But think about it for when you're designing your experience. What is that scenario that the customer is going to be in? What would have they been doing before? Is there any way that you can determine that? And therefore, think about the experience that you want to give them. Think about if they're making an intuitive decision, to Ryan's point of earlier, it could be that the decision's not really important to them, yeah? If I think of where I buy a pencil from, that's not exactly an important decision for me. So I'm, I'm probably going to use my intuitive system to make that choice. If I think about where I'm going to invest 
some money that I've just inherited, then that's going to be an important decision that I need to make. And therefore, I'm probably going to be using my more of my rational side of my brain. So I think it really, really is fundamental to the design of the experience. And again, building on what Ryan was just saying, and that may change by customer segment. So understanding which customer segments where and all those other wonderful things comes into play. So I hope that's been of use. Thanks very much, everybody, for listening. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks very much. Cheers. This has been the Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.